Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Back again, can't be stopped. That's right. This is the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite Podcast Network, episode 71. I am your Trek Lord of West Michigan, uh, Captain Fleet Captain of the USS Grand Petoskey, Charlie Carden, uh, coming at you as always with my stellar super duper partner, Katie Q. Katie, good Sunday night to you. Good Sunday night to you as well, Captain. All uh, right, Cap. Oh, like, almost like Captain Crunch. I just don't have the hat. <laughs> I just don't have the fancy hat. Well, we have um, we got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going on to uh, go into the basically the second uh, quarter of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine season two. Um, but we've got we've got some big stuff coming up in the week that follows. This episode obviously drops uh, on Monday, May two, uh, but on May. May 5th, uh, we're getting uh, the season finale of Star Trek Picard, which I can't necessarily say couldn't come soon enough. Uh, and then we're also getting the series premiere of Strange New Worlds, which is leads us into segment one half of this show. We occasionally have news. Uh, and this one we did. Katie, Katie, I assume you had a chance to check out uh, the, opening, the opening credits. Yeah. I loved it. It had a very like kind of classic vibe to it, but also like it felt like I was watching an homage to like every single intro to a, like a Star Trek show. Absolutely. And we've not had a Star Trek show since uh, Discovery. No, 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 not going. I'm talking about a Star Trek show that had any verbiage in the intro. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. We had uh, it was since TNG. Am I am, am I totally flubbing that? TNG because DS9 doesn't have anything, and I don't think Voyager does. Ah, no, does this it? no. This was the first time. Yeah, you, you heard obviously it's voiceover uh, from Anson Mount. Uh, he's reciting the original. You know, the, you know these are the voyages uh, spiel. Um, as you see, the Enterprise kind of light up. I am so fired up about this enterprise because it's just a breath away um, from the 1701 uh, refit from the, the start to the original Star Trek films, which is, has been, and always will be my favorite science, science fiction vehicle of any kind. I absolutely love that ship. Um, and so I just, I just could not be more excited about this program. So, um, but yeah, yeah, on Thursday mornings when we get up, we always get up plenty early, uh, especially when we've got a double header to take on, which, uh, which we get with, uh, with this week. Uh, Picard is winding down. Uh, we're going to be talking about episodes eight and nine uh, tonight. So without further ado, uh, Katie, jump us right into the quick synopsis of episode eight, Mercy. All right. With time running out before the launch of the Europa mission, Picard and Guinan must free themselves from the FBI custody. Seven and Rafi come face to face with Girardi and the horror of what she's become. Oh, the horror. The horror. Oh. Oh my gosh. The so, only horror is that they are, I feel like they're just not using, um, oh, Allison up to her full potential. She has eaten every scene that they give her as the queen. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it's just, everything else is so bad. <laughs> I, 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 I know you're right. Talk about uh, peaks and valleys. Again, 
you know, you and I have been on a sliding scale. It's Oxford and I were talking about this on SFU, which we recorded <laughs> earlier this evening. That'll come out uh, the Friday after the Monday this episode comes out. But um, absolutely, you know, feeling the which way is up. You know, here's 50 plot threads. Pick one. I uh, hope you don't like it very much because we're going to drop it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when we went from it's modern day and everybody's in Starfleet, but then we get called out to a thing and the thing is a Borg. But is it a Borg? And then it blows everybody up. But then Q is here and it's in the and he's changed history, but now he's going to stick us in the past. And then we got to do this thing. But the Borg queen came too because she's, oh my God, just... And well, then, then there's the, and there's another song and blah 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 and Guinan uh, yeah and the weird offshoot flashbacks which are technically flash forwards because Picard isn't actually born yet of right. all of his childhood but somehow his childhood is like future past because if everybody talks like they're in this like 1800s of like oh my love you will always be my shining star blah 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 and I'm like <laughs> why are you all dressed in old timey stuff and walking around like it's like the late 1800s I mean Katie I, I can answer that one for you you know what I, fashion is very cyclical you know <laughs> right now we're you know I, I i hear the early 2000s are coming back people are wearing you know the big baggy jeans or whatever and you know and if you flash forward another 400 years you know they're, they're looking you know to 600 years in the past for i don't think, I, I, I don't I don't think that's I, I don't think that i mean it's a good try it was a real good try i um, mean i i think it's somewhat rooted in reality that that, that that you know that that fashion tends to find as, as someone who's terrified of low-rise uh flare jeans um, I can definitely say yes. They, it is cyclical because I'm seeing those again. Um, but I don't think we'll ever get to a flowing white, completely buttoned up the back. Oh my um, god! Turn of the century gown. Uh, at least not for casual wear. <laughs> I guess the other thing in this episode that kind of drove me up the wall is that you had the actor playing the FBI agent it was the exact same, and, and we posited mm-hmm. this on our last episode. The exact same actor that played uh, a time cop. Uh, that was with 29th century Starfleet that employed seven on a mission uh, during the Voyager run where she had to go back and, and save Voyager in the past. Uh, same actor. Mm-hmm. Who's not, they didn't a bi- do anything with him. Who's not a big name actor. And they did. And then he was a guy who saw Vulcans when he was a kid. And so he was Fox Mulder. And it's just like, Oh, just no, no, yeah. no, no. They, yeah. it, it, it was, it was a big no. So yeah, I didn't really get Gerardi that she's eating batteries and then she's going to choke Rafi out. And then she does, she's oh the conflict within, but right. if she's, if she's eating batteries and shit, how come she's not all, you know, she's still organic. How come she's not all melty That's, and it's just, that was part of it too. I'm like, okay, she's still on organic. Like even if the queen has done like, you know, the nanobots thing, she's still organic Right. Primarily, like eating batteries isn't going to help her. Well, yeah, that's her body can't process that. Mm, all those metals. Well, it was just, um, you know, I mean, even the Borg you saw in like First Contact, for example, they were out in space, mm-hmm. uh, and which seemed kind of they were, you know, somehow, you know, surviving with their shields, but they could still be, you know, if you cut them loose in space, they just drifted away or whatever. They, they still can be killed, they're still organic. And, you know, at the end, that's the end of the movie is the, the, the plasma tank ruptures and all the bore get liquefied. And so, yeah, they're, they're still obviously sensitive to the same, you know, physical cleavages that we are as people. So yeah, I don't know why she's eating batteries or assimilating batteries, but uh, yeah. So that's that. Anything else in this episode that, okay, let's flip the script. Anything in this episode that you found 
redeeming and interesting. We did get Corey Sung back, and they were trying to I do something with that plot line. Q bumps into her. They're still like, we got to savageize Europa and da 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 this thing and that thing. So I. I was excited to see Q coming back. The whole idea that he's dying is very interesting. Um, and then he just didn't exist in the next episode. And it seems like it seemed like they had an idea for this whole time travel queen thing. And they were trying to figure out how to make that happen. So they just shoved Q in. Instead yeah, of it I- just be- Because I mean, at this point I am pretty convinced that the queen we saw in the beginning was or is Gerardi? Yeah, gr- agree. Agreed. And then she went through the. You know, she's going to show up in the future and then be like, "Hey guys, this is the new Borg." Right. So I'm like, okay, so we've got this like weird time loop thing, but there needed some to be some way to kind of kick it off, and it seems like that's what they used Q for, which is really weird. And I'm so I just I'm I'm really upset, and I know you said what you liked, and it's it's a double edged sword because you know, but because I love Q, I I really enjoy. Sure. Cute. He's amazing. And then you had the whole thing with Guinan and Q. Very good. But why are they using him as a throwaway character at this point? You know, and it, <laughs> I, I guess, and even I'm, you know, I'm looking at even the writing credits as I bring up the, the entry for the next episode. Uh, we got some names that even I'm not familiar with as people who are current writers and showrunners of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And then a director I'm not familiar with. So you know, are we turning everything over to, is is this like a Star Trek nemesis situation where we're just kind of turning things all over to um, somebody that we don't know? I mean, yeah. I just... Uh, it I, feels I, like they mad-libbed the plot and then had everybody write an episode of it. Oh, my God. You know, like mad-libbed, like the, the outline for the season. Yeah. So they're like, okay, well, here in this episode, the Q gets involved with Renee Picard and then Dr. Baltar shows up, but he's Picard's uncle, dad, dad. I just, oh. Yeah. I, oh, <laughs> my God. And, th- you know, and things didn't get any better as we get into to episode nine, hide and seek. Oh. Um, again, we've got, you know, we're, we're still, you know, I'll read the summary. Picard and his uh, crew fight for their lives as they come under attack from a new incarnation of an old enemy. And blah, 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 enemy, it's the Borg. Uh, but to survive, Picard must face the ghosts of his past. Not really sure why. Uh, Seven and Raffi have a final showdown with Gerardi. Uh, okay. Yeah. So there's a lot going on here that just doesn't seem to connect to anything. Did did Q come back in this one? No, Q nope. was missing again. Q was so completely we, absent from this one again. So we, we got no Q. Uh, we did get a name drop of Janeway uh, and the fact that Seven tried to join Starfleet proper after mm-hmm. the Voyager series, which I thought was cool. Um, I just uh, don't understand how none of them get Annika's, like, du- trouble with her duality. Like, it's not like that's a, the hidden secret, but even Rafi's still like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're not accepted? What? This is so confusing and foreign to me. Yeah, like, we're we're fighting the Borg, and why don't people like the Borg? I don't... I, oh. Like, yeah, why it, you do you know, feel uncomfortable being part Borg? I just read don't a understand. read read a book, babe. Read a book but called it's like People Don't Like the Borg. Everybody yeah. just kind of ghost like anytime Seven mentions being part Borg or like the troubles that they're like, oh whatever. Picard People was just, part Borg too, and he doesn't bring it up all the time. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> yeah, he was Borg for like three hours, and he doesn't right. he doesn't bitch about it all the time. Yeah, exactly correct. So, but yeah, you got um you got Adam the Adam Sung character kind of turns into a diehard villain in this. 
Yes, where he's, with yeah. really bad CG. What was with that night scene of him? Like you couldn't, you could totally tell it was green screen. Right. It looked like a bad sci-fi, like the the channel sci-fi movie. <laughs> right. And he's wearing, you know, he's, I swear to God, I don't have a full picture, but he's like wearing a black turtleneck with a black blazer. And I'm like, he's like trying to go for latter day uh, Hans Gruber here. It's just, I'm not, I'm not buying it. He's just, you know, and, and there have been some bad apples in the Sung family tree. We know that because I've told you all about the, yeah. plot, the plot line in Enterprise with the the uh, the, the augments and everything. Um, but uh, just, he went from you know, a quasi-benevolent scientist. He's like, no, I'm just going to kill Picard. It's not a big, you know, I'll kill Rene Picard as well and bloody whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, but uh, I just, they just keep digging down deeper. I, I did have something in this, and I mentioned it when I was talking to Axtra, that I thought was a smart ret. God, excuse me. That I thought was a smart retcon. In this episode, obviously full spoilers, uh, we do see that the the culmination of Yvette Picard's mental illness is that she commits suicide by hanging herself mm-hmm. uh, alone in a room. Uh, Jean-Luc, we're assuming him to be about age 10, walks in and sees it. Uh, and then he goes on to say, um, this traumatic event, I, I, bl- I blocked it out of my memory. I do recall in later years uh, that I would imagine speaking to her as an elderly woman, we would have a cup of tea, which is exactly what I talked about in our last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, in reference to the early TNG season one episode, uh, where no one has gone before, the Enterprise ends up in a place where their thoughts become reality. Picard imagines speaking to his extremely elderly mother. Right. Um, and and he thinks it's real. He thinks, well, you know, you might have just well thought, well, Picard here is in his 60s, so maybe his mom's been dead, you know, for 20 years or whatever, uh, when in fact she had been dead since he was, you know, 10 years old. Um, I thought that was a smart retcon because the very first thing I thought, I thought she didn't, that's, he saw her as an old lady. She didn't die that way. Uh, and then he was raised by his father. Now, the flip side to that is that in all of these flashback episodes, and maybe it's a, a product of his memory. Picard has an old Picard has an older brother, mm-hmm. Rene, Rene, who was the or not Rene uh, Robert, who was the focus of the TNG episode Family, which followed the Best of Both Worlds board two parter in season four. I was just watching it earlier this week, so there's zero mention. He they absolutely treat him like an only child, but in fairness, that's in his memory, you know. Yeah. So so it's not it, we're, we're not watching a, a newsreel of you know, family movies from the Picard family. Um, so uh, I'll give them that, but my guy, yeah, everything else like, Oh, you know, seven gets shot and fatally mm-hmm. and, and they, they're calling uh, Agnes, the Borg queen Borgati. So Borgati zaps her. <laughs> and, I was, that's uh, probably better than what I was saying. I was calling her Gerardi mommy. So. <laughs> oh, Gerardi, okay. Oh, hold on. I think, I think, I think we might have a name for the uh, Gerardi, Gerardi mommy. Yep. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Boom. Episode named, unless we come up with something better later I don't know on. if we'll be able to come up with something better than that. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a winner. So, yeah, I don't know. That, that's what I found to be a takeaway that I liked, that protected canon, which I'm a little nutsy about canon. I like mm-hmm. canon. I've always liked something you can kind of wrap your arms around and say, okay, well, I know that this happened in this and it spawns a thing, whatever it is. I like that as opposed to like with star Wars and it's all over the place and it's mm-hmm. the E the, it's the EU and there's a six foot tall green rabbit named Jackson and whatever you yeah. want. So I just preferred them not go the mental illness route altogether. I don't think it was handled really great. Um, mm-hmm. 
and especially like coming at it from a child's perspective, it was, it was, I just will say it, it doesn't seem like it was done very well. Well, and it, it, it was uh, very tropish. Uh, agreed. And more to the point, how does it serve the story oh, at all? The reason it, why Picard has never fallen in love is because he was hung up on his mom. Oh, bad wording. <laughs> oh, God. Because um, he was. It would almost, not, be, a, almost yeah. be a better title, but it's a little too brutal. So we're it's, not going it's, that yeah, way. Yeah, too soon. Way too soon. That was poor wording on my choice. I apologize. But be, it was like he had mommy issues. And so that was his entire reason why he just never was able to attach himself to another woman. Okay. Which, again, just felt very like Freudian or Oedipus complex kind of to me. But, and, I, I, you know, I bring it all the way back to. What does that, I mean, obviously we see like, you know, in that first episode, the the, the Talon makes a pass at him and he's like, mm-hmm. and so, right. okay, what does that have to do with the rest of what's going on? I feel like nothing. Right. Yeah. I feel like it was- it's just, and again, because we have a story that's cube or Guinan, uh, this thing, the, the yeah. Europa and the dystopian, this and that, and blah, 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 so on and so forth and whatever. And it's just. Oh, I, I just kind of want it to be over. <laughs> and I really feel like they could have cut out everything to do with his childhood and it would have been a more cohesive story. Right. It's like I said, it's just, okay, well, you know, and by the way, we're going to solve all your life's problems while we're fighting the Borg and Q. Yeah. And, and again, the Borg and the Q and the kind of thing, it just, it just doesn't gel. Now you think, you think about the fact that Q introduces the Borg and Guinan is his arch nemesis. Okay, we have three things from one of the few well, good ep- good episodes in TNG season two. Also, that's- didn't the Borg like wipe out Guinan's yes. like her her people? So like they're they're a huge part and at that point, like why not get Guinan involved? She knows the Borg. Right. Like that should have been a like that would have still been a hook to get Guinan involved and say, hey, we're here because the Borg are going crazy. She would have been like, oh, okay, I know how that is, instead of being like, hey, well, we're kind of here because of like something that goes weird with humanity in the future, so you have to help us. Like, sure she already is checked out from the from humanity because, you know, we kind of suck. Right. It, yes. Uh, <laughs> but we didn't even carry her over from the first episode to the second episode. She wasn't no. really involved in anything. Like, she didn't go back to France. Mm-hmm. Um, no, she's ha- just been there to be kind of like this helpful side character. Right, kind of turning into the trope that Whoopi Goldberg specifically right. didn't want Guinan to turn into. Right, so it's just it, we are it, it, we are off the page with just mm-hmm. tropey crap. Um, and I have never, I've never been down on a season of Star Trek like I feel like I've been down on this one. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it is. And again, something else Oxford and I were talking about. I don't know if it's because the seasons are so short that they we don't balance like oh my god that was a great episode and then we had a duffer one and then we had two great ones and then there was one bad one and then there were four great ones and then but we're so trapped into the fact with 10 episodes that we just really need everything to fire on all eight cylinders mm-hmm. and we're we're just not getting it you know what i mean it, it felt very strong like that i remember the first two episodes i was like holy crap i am loving this i am so excited for it and then it just like slowly unraveled where they just they had too they had too many plates they're trying to spin at once right you know and you got elnor coming back as a hologram and, and mm-hmm. wrecking shop and that's great but whatever so you know they, they just got a lot of eggs in the basket of what's going to happen in this last episode so they've got to find a way to turn it around when at the end of it girardi took off with la serena 
to and and, and worked away because we and now going, they're all they're all trapped in the past. Yeah, they're all trapped. They can still get around because they have the Gary Seven chick, the version of uh, oh yeah. So she'll probably end up figuring out a way to get them back. Right. So back they can to the future, but without well, Doc. Yeah, they can still they can still zip around or whatever. So it's all well and good, but it's just there's so much to. How are they going to bring together like eight plot threads and anything, and then put them back at that moment where we're assuming you know Gerardi Mama mm-hmm. blew, blew them up in the 25th century? I just, I'm fucking terrified. I'm not going to lie to oh, you. Oh yeah, no, you it's know, gonna. And I, I, I'm imagining there's going to be some sort of weird cliffhanger that's going to be from season two to season three because season three is supposed to be like the final season. Right. So it's, it'll just it's, be. It's going to be something random that they're going to leave hanging. I. I, I yeah, I mean, I, 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 I can't even really form a cogent thought around that process. You know what I mean? I know, I, se- I know season three is going to have the the whole TNG cast together, obviously with Brent Spiner playing Asung, because right, because there's no data and everybody else playing their regular characters. But I just, I just can't. You know, can't we just? Go to bed and wake up and and have a do over of season two because oh my god! <laughs> I so here's my theory. I think they're going to clear up the Borg thing with Girardi and finish that, and they're going to leave a cliffhanger with Q, and the final season is going to be about Q's death. Okay, okay, okay. I am titillated to find out if that's the case because yeah, you're right. There's way too much going on for all this to be just this colossal waste of like and here's stuff that we didn't get together at all mm-hmm. uh, we anyway. shall see we shall see anyway okay let's close the book on picard and let's move on to something that is potentially better uh, <laughs> we have uh we you know we have the we have the second quarter the second uh installment of four installments of star trek Deep Space Nine, again, uh, the sophomore season, I think, uh, certainly as evidenced by last time, kind of finding its way out of the sophomore slump. Uh, this aired in uh, early 19, or late, late 1993 through early 1994. Um, hold on just one sec. Okay. All right, brief, brief break for station identification. So anyhow, um, yeah, we're jumping into another six episodes of this show. Um which, I, I mean, the very first one out the gate introduces something incredibly important, so I will get started. Uh, season 7, or excuse me, Episode 7 of the season is Rules of Acquisition, directed by David Livingston, uh, a Dr. Livingston, I presume, one of the stalwarts of the show, uh, story by Hilary J. Bader, and teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear, again, uh, somebody who's a cornerstone of the show, so this is some serious talent involved. Uh, November 7 of 1993, Grand Nega Zek in his second appearance, the spectacular Wallace Shawn uh, assigns Quark to initiate investigations with a planet in the Gamma Quadrant, but Quark's new associate is not what he seems. Oh my. So attack er, uh, addressing uh, gender inequality issues uh, in within the Ferengi Alliance. Katie, this is much more up your alleyway than this <laughs> with mine. So take it away. Um, I remember the first time I watched this, I was really excited to see where it went because I absolutely loved Pell. I thought she was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I and even the second time around, I was really excited and I absolutely love her. I feel like they did Quark Dirty in this one. I mean, I get that he is, you know, he's a Ferengi. He's the stereotype. And I have, I have my own issues with the misogyny that comes with a Ferengi because for someone who's all like extreme capitalism, it doesn't make sense for, 
you to not take complete advantage of any asset. So regardless of whether you're a man or a woman or whatever your gender identification is, if you're smart and you're capable of getting ahead, right? that's that's a whole different thing. Um, I would have really loved to see Quark be like, hey, you know what? Now, pal, you can stay here. And like her becoming part of the cast and them having like a whole... Um, like kind of going on and running quirks and being really strong and kind of overturning that stereotype. I think that would have been a stronger thing than having quirk be like, well, yeah, I acknowledge that you're really smart and I actually really like you, but you need to go away now because you can't, can't fight I, city hall. I, I can't. Yeah. Well, and also like, I just can't get over my own internal biases of what this would mean. Right. So, I mean, the beauty of it is later in the series that exact same thing happens that that those biases are addressed. Right. And through, yeah. With through, 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 and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And through the series, through the end, of, and not to spoil anything on a you know thirty year old TV show, <laughs> um, but but the, that that does absolutely change radically by the end of the show when Rom becomes Grand Nagus, mm-hmm. and when he's installed, he completely you know, it changes for anxiety. So, but again, sorry about the spoiler on a 30, an episode from 25 years ago. <laughs> well, it's uh, to do with the Grand Nagus though, um, Zark, or Zach, because doesn't he end up marrying Quark and Rama's mom? He does. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and, and she, and she, what she's doing is running the Ferengi Alliance at that point, because he's yeah. old and senile. And, but again, hate to get ahead of ourselves. We'll be talking about, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's years down the road for us yes. talking about, you know, yes. segment wise. So. so I guess like I absolutely, you know, like most of DS9, I did really enjoy the episode. Um, I was just, I, I always, it always makes me a little, um, it always makes me a little sad because I really enjoy Quark overall as yeah. a character. It's just when they kind of throw that stuff in there where they're like, oh, well, you know, he's a jerk. So obviously they're going to be misogynist. And I'm like. Come on, guys. They're smarter than that. <laughs> I know. Exactly correct. So um, uh, trivia note, first mention of the Dominion uh, happens in oh. this episode through Quark's uh, negotiations with the guy. I can't remember. Actor Brian Thompson is in this episode. He's the real muscly guy. He's, you know, he's been in everything, but he's, I'm Katati is the name of the race. My guy, I'm going to, ha- you know, I'm so embarrassed. Let me click on the link and look it up because I'll be embarrassed until I'm, I'll be, I'll be blue in the face. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. The Dozai. The Dozai. Because oh, yes. they're buying the Tulaberry wine. So they're, they're basically, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're, you know, fancy ass mm-hmm. wine people. Good stuff. Um, so anyway, yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, like Star Trek does, taking social norms, turning them on their ear. That's what Star Trek does the best. All right. Next one is yours. All right. Necessary Evil, um, directed by James L. Conwin, written by Peter Allen Fields of November 14th, 1993. An attempt on Quark's life reopens a five-year-old murder investigation. I felt like this was a, um, oh, uh, what's his face from the TNG where Picard like would Di- go and- D- Dixon Hill? Dixon Hill, yes. It felt very Dixon Hill, but better yeah. because, like, Odo, I, doesn't it start out with him being, like, doing the voiceover, but he's like, humanity is stupid with the way that they want to yeah, like record records. everything all the time. Right, <laughs> yeah, he said yeah, he said it, everything like, you know, yeah, it was a, it was a rainy day and on DS9 and burr, 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 this and that. So um, I dug this. I thought this was a cool, cool early episode that kind of turned um, character interactions on their ear because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, Kira and Odo are good guys and they're pals and whatever. And, you, you know, they've known each other for several years because this showed, again, uh, tossing back five years, which would have been season two. 
uh, mm-hmm. of TNG, our favorite season of season two with your favorite doctor, Dr. Pulaski. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if she would have just shown up in the middle, walked in, hey, I'm here on a, oh shit, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not, this isn't Federation Space, I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> she would have been a great co-star. And then, and then, like on LA Law, her character would fall down the turbo lift shaft. Um, yeah, unfortunately not. But um, I, I like this. I think it kind of turned it on to that, yeah, you know, uh, that Kira and Odo have known each other forever. They trust each other. They know everything about each other. Um, and then it turns out this five-year-old murder investigation, the end of it, spoiler alert, uh, while the entirety of this plot is covering up who did what and why, and it has to do with this widow who's profiting from it, that Kira lied about uh, committing the murder because the mm-hmm. guy she killed was a Cardassian collaborator, and that's what she did. That's yeah. simply what that's, she was. People at war. She was a you know she was a resistance fighter. She was a black ops operative, and they they killed the enemy. And, uh, I and, mean, and, and, and he she, he was a bad guy. And she, so, she, well, and she also admits that she didn't go there intending to kill him. She was right. trying to get the list of names from his shop that showed who was also collaborators, and he right. came in on her. So she kind of it was kind of like a necessary, you know, necessary right. evil. Oh, it's the name of the show. What? Whoa! How did they do that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, crazy. Yeah, um, but but obviously her purpose in acquiring the list is that whoever was on the list was then oh, going yeah. to be killed because. Oh yeah. The, they, you know, and that's even addressed in, a, in an episode later in the season. Uh, is that you know there's a standing list of Bajoran, you know, Cardassian collaborators who are Bajoran. If they show up, they will be executed. Mm-hmm. They get caught. They're going to die. Yeah. Um, because that that is you know it's you know sell your own people out. That's exactly what you deserve. Yeah. Um, so, but Odo didn't know. So Odo was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, you lied to me back then, and I don't know what that means to us. And there was a great closing shot of this episode they're in his office and she's on one side of the room he's on on one other side of the room and they're just kind of staring at each other uh kind of blankly because there's just nothing to say in this moment of what has redefined their relationship so i thought i thought it was pretty pivotal especially considering obviously where their relationship ends up later on down the line yeah well and i thought it was a really great way because a lot of times star trek does try to have those like underlying tones and themes that go along with you know that are referencing more nuanced contemporary topics. So with this one, it did feel very much like um, with Odo being like, no, I am the neutral party. I am not on the side of the Cardassians or the Bajorans. But as he's talking to Kira and she keeps stressing, no, you need to pick a side by not picking a side. You are picking a side. And especially right now they're, you know, with everything that's going on with our environment and our culture of saying, you can't just sit on the sidelines and say you're not involved because that's giving power and authority. Like, even if you don't think you're working for the Cardassians, you're working for the Cardassians mm-hmm. by not standing against the Cardassians. You know, and not to get too deeply political, this came with, with both my stepkids who were of voting age in the 2016 election said, oh, fuck Trump. I don't want to vote for Trump. Well, uh, uh, so I'm not going to vote for anybody. Well, a vote for nobody was vote for Trump. And mm-hmm. and, that, and that's why we had him for four years is, is certainly one very simplistic way to look at it. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you don't make your voice heard, then then you're you're contribute. You're, you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. Right. Uh, in general, not to get too heavy on you. I doubt very much we have any listeners who are right wing Republicans. And if we do, and if <laughs> we do not liked me, then that I have a real bad idea to bring me on. <laughs> I absolutely, absolutely encourage you to seek mental help uh, if you love Trump. But anyway, uh, we'll see if that gets us flagged. So anyway, <laughs> moving on uh, to episode nine, Second Sight, directed by Alexander Singer. Another, again, a very uh, big name in Trekdom. Uh, then we get into some weird names. I do not know who Mark 
uh, Garrett O'Connell is. Don't hear from him again. Did the story and the teleplay. Um, <laughs> but also but also Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, who are stalwarts of the series, did the teleplay. So obviously, I feel like when they bring in a ringer or, or somebody who's new to write a story and then you see it's backed up by existing people, they probably came in and polished the shit out of it just to make it seem more Star Trek-y. I think so. I think, yeah. I think you can tell with this one. <laughs> Without a doubt. So this aired uh, in uh, just before Thanksgiving in 1993 in November. Uh, Cisco falls in love with a woman, uh, with a woman visiting the station, but she is not what she appears to be. Didn't we? Oh, we got not what it seems about Quark. So th- there's a lot of mistaken identity shit going on in this whole season. Um, <laughs> yes. So yeah, S- yeah. Cisco is, uh, and it's weird because the, the timing is really off. He's like, uh, in his opening, Commander's like, he's like, well, I realized it was just celebrated the, the anniversary of the Wolf 359 and when my wife died. And it was about, that was probably about three months before this. So uh, fits for your episode. But yeah, because Wolf 359 happened right at the beginning. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is nine episodes in. He's probably about three or four months off. But that's me just nitpicking it up. Uh, there's plenty of other stuff to nitpick up about this episode. So yeah, Cisco falls in love <laughs> with a woman who kind of drifts on the station and she's like, oh, blah, 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 this thing and that thing. You're so handsome and charming. Oops, I got to go. And so she's like she's Cinderella, right? And, and, and this happens a couple of different times. Yep. And it all kind of centers around very this. Very Rikery. Very right. Yeah, exactly. So it all the, the, the whole plot line is kind of centering around this um, this super egotistical terraformer guy uh, who's traveling aboard a Federation Starfleet. He's like, everybody come to my cabin for dinner. And Cisco walks in and there's that same woman, but she's very frumpy clothes and like, I don't know you, dude. And she's like, really? Your name isn't Fena? And she's like, uh, uh, I, I, I have to go to the bathroom. And she takes off. So what we ultimately <laughs> find out is that she... Um, she's in the super unhappy marriage, but she, she's an alien. She's from this race that does not do divorce uh so she even though she's miserable with her husband she solves that misery by astral projecting herself as some kind of vampy ghost who goes out and hooks up with other guys i guess so it was never fully explained so i mean this one this one was definitely a a low ringer for me. Like as far as stuff that could go out of like, that just doesn't need to be seen again in DS nine. This one is definitely on that list for me. Yeah. I mean, we're coming out of the era and season one was packed with it with episodes that were just like, yeah, we had to have an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was an, again, when you have 20 to 26 segments that you got to produce in the nine month television season back in the day, you're, you're going to have plenty of duffers. You know what I mean? Where yeah. alternately, What's supposed to happen with shows like Picard is that you have 10 great episodes in a cohesive story, which is not what we have going on right now. But I digress. That's what like Discovery does a nice job of it. Like Mm -hmm. season four of Discovery, we, you know, we have this mission and it's or season three of Discovery. We have this mission. And at the end of it, we find out why this thing happened and we're able to help out. So uh, Picard's not really knocking it out. I think they did a pretty they did a pretty good job of it in season one. I really like season yeah. one, but but yeah, but it, you know, under the old model, we're going to throw out a lot of you know a, a lot of you know D list stuff. Uh, oh, and yes. this was while this was not the worst of it, it was it was in the neighborhood. So yeah, it was just um, it was that trope of oh, I met her twice. It's been two days. I'm in love with her. Obviously, she's you know the most amazing person ever. I'm like you. You literally don't even know her last name. You don't know if Fena is a first or last name. You cannot be in love with her. Stop. Just smack you. Smack you all over the station. 
It's t- it's totally like Cher. Is yeah. <laughs> from, from a species that w- that wants to wants to tough out marriage so bad that they'll astro project themselves as a as a well, as a, lo- as a loose sure woman. If it was that like she just didn't like if her culture just didn't divorce, or if it was like she physically like if there was something about like the bonding pair, like she couldn't leave him. Oh, it made it – well, it said they – yeah, you're right, because that was left vague. He says, well, the mm-hmm. blah, 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 whatever the race is, they mate for life. And he didn't say because yeah. culturally like they do it works. or yeah. bi- biochemically they can't do it. You know, you don't – yeah, you're right. You don't know. So um, – but the good news is is that this is not a species that's ever seen again because it was a crappy story. <laughs> and, and then we can simply move on. That's what's kind of nice about the space station is that they can simply move on. Yes. Uh, and not have to worry about that stuff. So, all right, speaking of moving on, I think we move mm-hmm. on to a better – episode with number 10 so go ahead yes we have sanctuary by les lando a story by gabe esso and kelly miles teleplay by frederick rapaport it aired in november 28th of 1993 and this is a group of refugees come through the wormhole in search of katana their fabled homeworld. oh Again, Star Trek kind of sliding back into the seat of the refugee issue, Mm -hmm. which is obviously enormous with everything going on in Ukraine right now. It's obviously Mm -hmm. been enormous uh, across the past 50 years in the Middle East and and cultures all over the place. Um, But yeah, the the Scria is the name. And they they have one of these rare, it's rare, but you think it would happen that much more. But a species comes comes to the Federation space that the, the UT, the Universal Translator, doesn't lock on right away. So she's just speaking gibberish, and everybody's like, "Huh, what?" They got to keep them talking. <laughs> they got to keep them talking until they they get it going. But it just serves to really reinforce how how culturally different this species is because they're they're a female dominated society. I love it how she's at a staff meeting and it's you know her and Kira. She immediately latches onto Kira. Kira's like her her best friend and her emissary in this. Um, but then uh, I, I think Bashir and O'Brien are sitting there with Dax. And Kira says, well, you look a little uncomfortable. You're doing all right. She says, yeah, I guess. It's that men usually don't do meetings because th- their little emotional brains can't really handle it. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. That's, that was flipping the script. But you know mm-hmm. what? I, you know what? I, I've been to a lot of meetings with 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 men that I don't care for. I, I, I prefer the company of women largely myself, so I totally get it. But uh, no, that was, I mean, that was a big, uh, like, whoa. And uh, sexually, they have pairs of men. They're 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 bigamists. So yeah, she goes to her room in the middle of the night, and uh, she gets up, and her two men folks standing in the door frame. No, no, no. It's it's you go back to bed. It's okay. So she is she's boss, or you think she's boss, uh, until a lot of you know not really great stuff happens with the younger screen. Now something interesting about the younger screen characters, uh, we have. we have the the son of Walter Koenig is the main guy, the son of mm-hmm. Chekhov from the original series. I'm drawing a blank on his name. He was boner and growing pains. Unfortunately, about 15 years ago, committed suicide, mm-hmm. so he's no he's no longer with us. Um, but another one of the actors uh, was was or one of the characters was played by actor Leon Orser, who you've seen in everything, I- including uh, here. You're, you know, is because I know Voyager is one of your key series in the episode where the. Um, the EMH was on the other ship where he had to interact with an alien EMH that had gone nuts and killed all the crew. That oh, was Leland. yeah. Yeah, same dude. And then I, I feel like the third actor was somebody else, and I probably have to look it up. But, um, yeah, ultimately what we find out is that these um, 
these Screens, they need a home. There's three million of them. They said, our fabled home of Quintana is Bajor. We want to say, you know, we want you to let us settle on the southern continent because we're farmers and we can revitalize that area because the Cardassians, you know, poison it or whatever. And the Bajorans say no for reasons that that probably politically speaking, make a lot of sense. Well, we don't feel we can support you. And it's really very unpredictable. And, you know, meanwhile, you know, Cisco and the gang find another planet in the same sector that they can, you know, settle them on. They're like, no, we, it's got to be Bajor. They're very, you know, hands down. But then there's, you know, a diplomatic incident where the kid who plays Boner crashes his ship and kills himself. And so ultimately they, they go off. And then it was the, the screen lady says to Kira saying, you know, you know, 50 years of Kardashian occupation have made you scared to trust. And, and we really could have helped you out but you know you screwed yourselves it's like you know when your ex-girlfriend says oh you'll never find anybody else like me yeah uh, yeah but you know the screens were kind of gross and they had like bad skin issues and something so i don't know that that invalidates them as a people that, that but doesn't no no that definitely doesn't <laughs> i would say know. it was more their attitude this was definitely a it was a more it got closer to the mark than some of the past refugee stories that we mm-hmm. were seeing in uh, like TNG, for example. Right. Um, but it still felt like they were afraid to not vilify them in some way, shape or form. Right. Because exactly. I was like, okay, there is an alternate planet that is completely habitable. Everything's great. And they find this planet and then they go, no, we don't want that planet. We want to go to Bajor. And like, yeah, but- is a, a war torn just getting past an occupation with a barely functioning government and you want to throw right. 3 million people into the mix, I can completely understand if they're like, hey, no, you have this other option. It's probably a better idea for you to pick this other option because we can't guarantee your safety and security here. Right. And, and you're it, like, no, you all are monsters. Yeah, it's just and, – and it's and it's really right up the alleyways that beggars can't be choosers. It's like, hey, we're willing to help you. We found a solution. Um, but the, you know, the art of negotiation and the art of compromise is that – you, you don't always get what you want, but you know what you, you do get is somewhere to live instead of living on your crappy ships that are falling apart. Um, right. well, you, well, you, you can ha- you can have a life or, you know, but yeah, they want to be, no, we want what we want and we want it because we know, you know, we know better, which is always, people who always think they know better just kind of drive me nuts anyway. Right. But, I would have liked to see it honestly extended maybe a little bit because DS9 is known for being more serialized of saying, okay, cool. If you are farmers, then have some of us, have some of your people come to Bajor and, you know, if you want to help so much right why don't you start two settlements because then you would have people who can help support you on a stable planet where you can farm and then if you want to come in and see if you can go ahead and start tilling the northern continent because it had been completely demolished by the cardassian rule and Mm -hmm. you know entire of bajor is under famine so say yeah sure if you want to come and help awesome but instead they were like well no since you didn't give us your planet then we're not going to help you at all Right. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Pretty ridiculous. So, yeah, I don't know. It could have been one of those that that could make it. There you go. There's your fanfic, Katie. Go for it. I want to see. see, I'm going to write an alternate alternate world there. Sanctuary follow up and we'll 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 uh, we'll publish it in the next Grant Potosky newsletter. Um, But yeah. uh, okay. well, moving on. You know, we go from great and poignant to completely pointless. That would be episode 11. Rivals. Uh, this is directed by David Livingston again, coming back. Uh, story by Jim 
Trombetta, not a Star Trek name, Michael Pillar, series co-creator. So, okay, yeah, a little bit. And town played by uh, Joy, uh, Joe Minoski, who is uh, a stalwart of the series. First episode uh, aired in 1994, the year I graduated from high school. Jeez, I'm old. Cork uh, feels threatened when a con artist arrives on the station and opens up a competing bar. Uh, meanwhile, Chief O'Brien is determined to beat Dr. Bashir at racquetball. That second line, 1,000% sounds like something you'd see in an episode of Roseanne, which was <laughs> was shit was so, so very sitcom. Um, yes. your, your guest star in this episode was Chris Sarandon, who's the husband of Susan Sarandon, so a notable name. Uh, he was also the villain in The Princess Bride a few I years say, before. I say, Prince Humperdinck. Yeah. yeah, Prince Humperdinck. There you go. Which is just always, just Humperdinck is just a terrible name, but I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, very much a throwaway episode. Um Interesting to note that his name is uh, Martis Mazur, and he's an Elorian, same race as Guinan, uh, which I don't think I picked that up the first time I watched it. I certainly picked it up before now, but rewatching it, the same as Guinan. Mm-hmm. I, I, thought, I thought that that was interesting. So, a race of listeners, but instead of being a benevolent bartender like, let me share the wisdom, he, he's a hustler. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's a hustler, he's a swindler. So, he's like Quark, but he's a little bit better at it. Uh, and he, he finds his way onto this, you know, luck generating machine that he can open a casino around it. Uh, and ultimately, you know, this was, you know, what's always referred to in Star Trek as a bottle show. So it's a show that takes place entirely on the station with largely existing sets, though. The the racquetball court, I feel like we've seen it somewhere before. I think it, they built it for TNG back in season four. Because there was yeah. there was an episode that it was in it, but largely it, it was all all existing sets and just a few co stars. So it's kind of by call it bottle show. It's like a money saving show. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was pretty unremarkable. Uh, there wasn't really anything to take away from it except that O'Brien and Bashir are really moving a little further along in the fact that they do become best friends. But in this, they're very much like they're you know it's the rivals, it's the duality, the rivals, yeah. Bashir O'Brien, and then Mazur and, and Quark, and then in the end, you know. Um, uh, Mazur ends up being outswindled by this, you know, this elder, you know, this widow is like, I just need some money to open a such and such. And she, you know, rips him off and he ends up penniless again. So, again, in the Federation, it doesn't really matter if you get all your money stolen because they're not yeah. a finance based society. But also serves as a reminder is the fact that is that Bajor is not the Federation and mm-hmm. people, people do still need money. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, what were your thoughts? I mean, I thought again, I thought it was, you know, filler episode. It was kind of like you said, a bottle episode, but it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I definitely liked it better than, um, you know, uh, the, what was we just say second sight. Oh yeah. Um, so Yuck. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a fun kind of like you're saying throwaway episode. I didn't really, you know, I, I appreciated uh, Prince Humperdinck being in it. I thought that was very funny when, <laughs> he, when he popped up. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I think, I think he played the scenes well and I thought it was a great oh, yeah. Clark. I, yeah. I did. I did enjoy that. All right. Episode 12. Take us, take us home, my friend. All right. The alternate by David Carson um, story by, or it was directed by David Carson story by Jim uh, Trimbetta and Bill Dial teleplay by Bill Dial. And it was aired January 9th of 1994. Uh, the Bajoran scientist who, used to be Odo's teacher arrives with evidence of others of Odo's kind. Womp womp. What? Oh. What? Yes. I know. Exactly. Yeah. So we have, you know, David Carson is a stalwart uh, of the franchise, but Jim Jim Trombetta and Bill Dial are are kind of, uh, those names I never heard before. So, (laughs) you know, this ended up being a script that while 
it offered the early suggestion is Odo's mysterious kind and blah, blah, blah. This is going to be a big revelation. Uh, it's touched upon. It was really, it was even just earlier in this segment and in, in the necessary evil that it was mentioned that there was a Bajoran scientist that was in charge of Odo mm-hmm. during, after, because Odo was discovered in the Denarius belt by the Cardassians, you would assume, because it was several, you know, it was, 10 years prior to the series starting or whatever it was. Um, and then he was put in a, in a, a Cardassian lab with a Bajoran scientist who studied him and kind of taught him to, um, you know, make shapes and learn how to communicate and blah, Performed blah, blah. Per, yeah. The Cardassian neck trick. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but which is, I don't know. Was that, that I think that was mentioned in this episode or, or certainly gets mentioned. No, it was mentioned later. in the, um, right. In the, the flashback the, episode. Right. Of, uh, necessary evil. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, so this was a Dr. Mora, who is actor James Sloyan, who was in an episode of TNG in season three where he played a Romulan defector who brought the Enterprise. You know, there's going to be an invasion, and it's on this planet. It turned out that they were kind of using him to to pull a Federation ship into the neutral zone and attack them. And one of my favorite episodes of, <laughs> of that, and kind of of when things were really starting to turn around in TNG. Uh, but no, great actor. He shows up several other times, and I believe Voyager and Enterprise, and maybe even a DS9 later on. So. He's kind of one of those, like, let's get James Lloyd Land on the phone and we'll get him for an episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, he plays Dr. Maura Pohl, who is uh, the father figure, uh, for want of a better term, uh, for Odo. Um, and and this is a proclaimed father figure, I think. Not, yeah, exactly. I'm Odo your daddy. Was definitely not feeling the father figureness. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he was, you know, when he get, generally gets pissed off and he doesn't get that Father's Day card. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah, so he comes along and again, the, the whole episode really proves to be a red herring. They don't really find out anything about Odo's people, but instead they bring back this, you know, virus that makes Odo act crazy and turn into a big monster. So it's kind of a monster of the week virus episode. Yeah. Um, which just kind of goes nowhere, which really lends itself back to the fact that the episode was written by two non-Trek writers. So it mm-hmm. just didn't, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they brought in a lot of people early on because they somehow wanted to have these throwaway episodes that just let people, you know, kind of left people with no impression of what the hell was going on with anything. I have no idea. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but what the hell do I know? You know what I mean? But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this was, you know, we're, we're, we're getting to the middle part of, you know, the first, I, I would say the first, you know, quarter that we looked at of episodes in, in our last episode had some really great ones. We mm-hmm. had, the, we had the kickoff trilogy. We had the Cardassians episode. Um, I just thought that this was kind of full of stinkers. I don't know about you. I mean, I, don't, I uh, actually, I kind of liked the alternate. Um, I didn't, I thought the ending was a little weird because it seemed like the doctor kind of was like, Oh, okay. No, actually I was mistaken by everything. And I was like, Hmm. It usually doesn't work that way um, yeah, right. because it did feel like they were building out Odo's character. And for someone who has a mysterious backstory, there's not a lot to go with. So you have to work and really pull to create these um, stories and backdrops for them to have something to bounce off of. So right. introducing this character that was very much a toxic parent figure right. and coming, you know, being someone who has my own toxic parent figure to deal with. Um, there was a lot of reflection where I was like, you know, he's talking over Odo. Like at one point he flat out says, oh, yeah, tell them, tell Kira this story about, you know, how I figured out you were smart. And so Odo starts to tell and he can continually interrupts, continually talks over him and just uh. is incredibly disrespectful because everything Odo does, he refers to him as a specimen, as a creature. And it's very obvious that he doesn't 
credit Odo for what he can do. Everything is he's mimicking or the doctor taught him how to do it. Almost like he's a trained, you know, he's a trained monkey who can talk. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. There, there's a deeper sense of that, of having, like you said, a toxic friend, a toxic family member in your Mm -hmm. life who is just like, you know, why do I put, why do I put up with this person? treating me the way that I do, like, you know, like in talking to me like I'm a five-year-old or talking about me like I'm a yeah. five-year-old instead of a, you know, a grown-ass adult, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I, 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 I certainly feel the deeper issues of it. So I, yeah. um, I, I understand where you're coming from. The, the, the balance of the episodes as a whole, um, I, I love Necessary Evil. Um, mm-hmm. I thought there were some good uh, issues raised in Sanctuary. I thought Rivals was amusing. Um, but when you put it all together, it just, you know, maybe we get too spoiled with the thought of a thematic um, arc-based season because, you know, mm-hmm. looking back at the way stories used to be told, it used to be like, doot, 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 doot. And even DS9 itself, mm-hmm. but not to the latter half of the, of the season. So basically looking at season maybe three and a half going into season four with the, the Klingon Dominion arc and then moving, uh, Klingon Cardassian Dominion arc and then moving into season five with the full blown out war, which took us through the rest of the series. DS9 very much becomes that. But in these first two and a half seasons, it's very much like, here's a thing, and here's another thing, and here's another thing, and there's a thing over here, and maybe there's a message here, and maybe there's nothing. You know what I mean? So yeah. we're, we're still kind of stuck in that. Well, um, and I, I think it's a it's a reflection of the times, too, of when they were written, because we are kind of spoiled now where people just kind of have this idea of we're going to get a serialized story and character development along the way. Where right. before this stuff, you would have TNG or something where it was, there will be a story that might have one or two parts. There will be no character development because nothing ever reflects back on itself. Right. And this is where they're starting to experiment to go, okay, we're going to do some character development with like the alternate. Oh, and then we also have to tell a story. So they're mm-hmm. still trying to figure out, I think, how to merge those two things together because like the alternate is still like the stuff that was developed in that episode is definitely going to show up later but it didn't really tie into the story that they're trying to tell right now. Right. Exactly correct. Cool. Well, that that wraps us up. That's about as much DS9ing as we got to do. So Katie, as always, take us on out of here. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grand Petoskey and Region 13 on Facebook. All righty, Rue. Well, friends, thank you as always for joining us. I have been Charlie Carden. Always a pleasure. You can find me over uh, on Twitter at the C3. Uh, and Katie, where do people find you at? Um, they can find me on Twitter at QT Geek. That's Q underscore T Geek. And we are interested in hearing about Star Trek all the time, all the place. Friends, thank you one more time for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. And remember, wherever you go, go boldly. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit SecretFriendsUnite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at SecretFriendsU on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.